Tonight we're reading from John chapter 3, and we're going to be spending two weeks in this passage. Uh, Tonight we're going to focus mostly on verses 1 through 13. So John 3, I'm going to start by reading in chapter 2, verse 23, uh, the, the verses there connect to the passage tonight. Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, ever, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world And men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. This is the word of the Lord. Our passage tonight opens with this man, Nicodemus. And what we'll see in this account and in the succeeding accounts, there are just many people from all walks of life who encounter Jesus. 
Well, who is this man who's encountering Jesus? You have Nicodemus. He's someone who's highly educated. He's accomplished in society. He is highly placed, and he's respected for what he's achieved. He's also highly experienced. He's in the most significant roles in the academy of Jewish religion and in the leadership of his community. And he's there not only in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, but he lives and he operates and he is known in Jerusalem, the capital of Israel. If he were living today, he would be like someone who has a doctorate and he has degrees from Ivy League schools and from the most respected seminaries. He would be a board member. He would hold elected office. Now, this looks encouraging as the passage begins. This kind of person, someone of this notable capacity, is coming to Jesus. He is coming to Jesus. And you see that his attitude towards Jesus, it seems encouraging. He's collegial. This teacher, Nicodemus, recognizes Jesus as a fellow rabbi. And he seems, Nicodemus seems to be receptive towards Jesus. Verse 2, he says to Jesus, you are a teacher come from God. And not only is he collegial, is he receptive of Jesus, he's also impressed with Jesus. Verse 2 goes on. He says to Jesus, no one can do the signs that you do, Jesus, unless you are from God. And, and chapter 2, verse 23, says that in this time, during the Passover at Jerusalem, Jesus was doing many signs. And so this, this man, Nicodemus, believed the reports, saw the signs, and said, this has to be from God. So Nicodemus almost appears to believe but Nicodemus, it turns out, is in the dark. He has, Nicodemus has missed the boat in the most basic of ways. And so the lesson that we'll look at in this encounter is this. Insiders need conversion. Insiders also need conversion. We're going to look at two things tonight in our passage. First of all, we'll see that credentials can't convert. Credentials can't convert. And then secondly, we'll see this. Only birth and belief get you in. Only birth and belief get you in. So let's start first by looking at how credentials can't convert. Because what we see is Nicodemus, is, he is the ultimate insider in Jewish society, in his learning, in his religious practice. But all those credentials can't convert him. And in this encounter with Christ, this insider, Nicodemus, discovers that he's actually outside still. Now, consider Nicodemus's credentials and his achievements. He was a Pharisee, it says in verse 1. There were about 6,000, from what they estimate, about 6,000 Pharisees at that time. So there is a, a minority, but there are a significant number of them. And what we see about Pharisees is, is this. First of all, they were very devoted they were devoted to God. They were highly observant in their religious practice. They would do things like tithe, not just their money, not just their incomes, not just gifts that were given to them. They would tithe their cooking herbs, their spices. They were that careful to observe the spirit and the letter of the law. And for their, their entire devotion to God, people recognized them and people respected them for taking their faith seriously and trying to live out their faith, not just in synagogue, not just in temple, but in life. And so they were highly respected in society. They were the kind of people, and they did this, they took overseas missions trips. That, that's, that's why they were respected. But not only were they devoted to God and, and respected for that, they were also, this, this, this 
Pharisee Nicodemus, he himself was particularly respected by the people. Verse 1 says, not only was he a Pharisee, he was also a ruler of the Jews. And so he was probably a member of the council of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. So he held civil power. He was selected among all of his peers for his character and for his wisdom. He was respected above all the others who were his age. And so he's doubly esteemed. He's esteemed for his religious position. He's esteemed for his governmental appointment. He's not only devoted to God, he's not only respected particularly above all of his peers, he's also learned. We see that he is called in verse 10, he is the teacher, the teacher of Israel. That means he was highly intelligent. He would have been a seminary professor in a respected institution. He would have been an author of books about Christian living. He would have been a speaker at conferences. He would have written things like The Principles and Practices of Biblical Stewardship, a bestseller. He he would have attended and spoken the annual conference on biblical parenting. He, He would have been invited to be one of the keynote speakers. So he had a great resume. He had peerless credentials. But what we see in this passage is that with all of that, Nicodemus comes in for confusion and he's surprised. Because what Jesus shows him is that Nicodemus can't even see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus isn't even in the kingdom of God yet. And so what Jesus starts to show Nicodemus is that Nicodemus does not even understand the most basic thing about the kingdom of God. He doesn't, Nicodemus does not even know how to get in to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus says in verse 3. I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus comes to Jesus saying, you're a teacher from God. You couldn't do these signs unless you were from God. And Jesus says, you're you're talking about the kingdom. You don't even see it. You don't even see it. And and then uh, in verse 7, Nicodemus is starting to get confused as Jesus is talking. And Jesus says in verse 7, Don't be surprised at what I'm saying. Don't marvel, Nicodemus, at what I'm saying. And what we see here in verse 7, Nicodemus is not even tracking with Jesus anymore. And and Jesus is not trying to go into all kinds of depths and complexities and all kinds of directions. Jesus has one thing to say to Nicodemus, and he says it three times. But Nicodemus is not even tracking. And and by by verse 7 and then verse 9, Nicodemus is so confused. And he says to Jesus, How can these things be? What are you talking about, Jesus? And then verse 10, Jesus says to Nicodemus, and I I think the tone here is tender, not harsh. He says, are you the teacher of Israel? And you don't even know these things? The commentator, uh, one commentator says, it's as if Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, try to keep up with me, man. Try to keep up with what I'm saying here. So what we're seeing is, And what is starting to dawn on Nicodemus is that Jesus is saying, you are not in the kingdom, Nicodemus. You are not converted. Now, you might think, wow, okay, are we sure about that? Because Nicodemus comes up three more times in here. And and by the end, Nicodemus is even, along with Joseph of Arimathea, trying to to put in the the dangerous sacrifice of, of burying Jesus. Like, are we sure that he's not in the kingdom? Well, we see two things here that speak to this. First of all, verse two, it says Nicodemus comes at night. 
Now, some people speculate, ah, that means he was afraid. He was ashamed. But I think, and, and this is what the commentators I've looked at say, this is, this, this is a literary this is a literary observation that at the beginning, Nicodemus comes at night in the darkness. And how does this, this section of, of the passage end? Chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 19, 20, darkness. He comes in darkness, and there are those that are in darkness who will not have the light. Uh, this, 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 this detail that's noted that Nicodemus comes at night, it's trying to tell us that Nicodemus is a man who is still in the darkness, still in the moral darkness. And, and you see this also not just from this little clue about him coming at night, you see this also because three times Jesus is saying, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse three, verse five, you have not entered the kingdom of God. Verse 12, he says, Nicodemus, you do not believe. So Nicodemus comes and he has all of these credentials but he's in spiritual darkness. And, and the way that we have confidence about this is not because we're trying to make a case against Nicodemus, but we know that Jesus sees under the surface in all of our lives, all of our hearts. That, that's what it says in, in this lead-in in chapter two, verse 24, Jesus knows what's in a person. And so he knows what's in Nicodemus, he knows what's in John, he knows what's in the Samaritan woman that will come in these different encounters that come up. But he knows, he knows the chapter is telling us, that the, the, this end of chapter two is telling us, Jesus knows where each of these people are who he is going to encounter. Now, this encounter with Nicodemus, what we've just said to this point, this would be very rattling to the reader of, of this book. This, would, this, would be, this should at least disturb you. Because if we would have confidence that anyone was really in with God, could see how the kingdom works and how to get in and, and certainly would be in the kingdom of God, well, we would expect someone like Nicodemus. We would expect that, well, of course, it would be Nicodemus would be one of the people that can see the kingdom and is in the kingdom. And, and what the passage is telling us is that Nicodemus studied the Bible. Nicodemus studied the text. He sincerely practiced the principles that he could see in it. And he was known and respected for this devotion and learning. But Nicodemus is in darkness and he doesn't even know it. Maybe I can give you an illustration of, of this. Back, I think it was like in fourth grade, something like fourth grade. I tried out for rec league baseball. I tried out for the, the baseball team. And at the tryouts, at the tryouts, they, they will, they will just line up all the kids. They've got all the names. They're, people are trying out for the baseball, the rec league baseball, nothing, nothing important or significant. Uh, and part of the, the tryouts involved batting. You know, the, the, the coaches would throw pitches and all the kids would take turns just trying to swing and hit the, the baseballs. And at, at the tryouts, I don't know what was happening, but like, I don't know, I got about five or six pitches I was incredible. I'd never played baseball before. I wasn't, had never been taught proper uh, technique for holding the bat swinging it, but I was really good. Like almost every pitch, if not like most, maybe not all, maybe all of them, I, I contacted the ball. And so I came out of those tryouts and I was put on a team and at the very first game, the very first game, where was I in the batting order? Well, I was put in the top slot. I was fourth. That's, that's batting cleanup, right? That's usually where you put your, your strongest hitter. I was slotted as cleanup. 
the place for the strongest batter. They thought I was, you know, this new team of all these kids, they thought I was tops. I thought, I must be pretty good. I mean, I did well during the, during the tryouts. But here is the reality, and I didn't even realize this. I was a terrible batter. I was terrible. I never got a hit. As far as I know, I never got a hit. And what happened very quickly is I moved down, game after game, I moved down in the batting order to the very, very last place for the entire season. I was a terrible batter, and I thought I was great. It's the same way with Nicodemus. He was in the darkness. He did not even realize it. Now, the lesson for us is this. Credentials can't convert you. Credentials can't convert. You may have been in church, grown up in church for a long, long time. You may even hold office in the church, serve in a ministry, and be respected as a very responsible, a very fruitful person. But that doesn't mean that you are in the kingdom. You could be highly respected in the church. People could come to you and consult you for advice, advice about finances, advice about church decisions, about tricky situations that come up. You could be highly intelligent. You could be educated. You could have degrees in Christian theology. You may have memorized Bible verses, many verses. You might be one of those kids who, in catechism class, in Bible class, you know the answers. You know the answers faster than the other kids in the class. You might even believe that what Jesus said is true and that he did work all of those miracles. But none of that means that you are in the kingdom. None of that can get you into the kingdom of God. And if you are not in the kingdom, you're in the dark. So credentials can't convert Spiritual study and a long tenure in the church can't get you in. Well, here's the second thing that we see tonight. Only birth and belief get you in. Only this birth that Jesus is talking about and belief get you into the kingdom of God. Well, let's look at that. Four four facets about this that we're going to, to go through. First of all, we see this. Without the birth, without the birth that Jesus is talking about, without the birth, you cannot come in. You can't even get in. And he says this three times. Verses three, verses five, verses 10. Jesus says, most assuredly, very truly. When he says that, that however your, your, your translation says it, Jesus is saying, take note. Here's an important thing. Note this. And this is what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says it again in verse five. Very truly, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then verse 10, Jesus says, uh, I'm sorry, verse, um, verse seven, he says, you must be born again. Without this birth, you are not in. You're outside, you're still outside of the kingdom of God if you're not born again. You can only enter this kingdom by this birth, this rebirth. Now, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? What's this birth? Well, here, here we have, you, you could call it the reformed doctrine of regeneration, the reformed doctrine of the Holy Spirit's work. Now, when Jesus is bringing this up, 
This is not a new teaching in the Bible. This is not the first time that this has emerged in the Bible. This is an old teaching. It's in the Old Testament in multiple places. But what he's saying is this. In order, in order to be born again, you've got to become a different person altogether. There has to be inside you a spiritual work that's done by the Holy Spirit where you become a totally new person. It, it really is the case that you're, you're reborn a new life is in you that never existed in you before. You become, it would almost be the description that you would, if you were to say, what just happened to me? It's like I'm now, I'm now alive to God in a way I never was alive to him. I'm now eager for God in a way that I was never eager for him. I, I'm now fixed on Jesus in, in, in this way where I, I want to follow him. The birth is like water and spirit that's poured out you cascading on you, dumped on you from God. And so the new birth, it's, it's like what's described in many places. One of them is Joel 2, 28, where, where the Lord says, and it shall come to pass afterward, and he's going to describe now this, this birth of water and, and spirit. It will come to pass afterward that I, this is the Lord speaking, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'll pour out my spirit in those days, the Lord says. And what happens is when this, this, this water, this, this birth from water and spirit from the Lord comes, it converts you it, and it, it, it cleanses you. This birth by water and spirit, it just removes shame. It removes guilt. You, you, you've got stain all over you from a life of sins and you've realized it's made you dirty. But when this birth comes on you, you realize I'm clean. All that was there. And the pictures show it. And now it's, it's wiped off of my record. And inside, I'm clean. I don't feel dirty. I don't feel ashamed. Ezekiel 36, 25. This is speaking of that same thing, of the water which cleanses and converts. The Lord says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, and from all your idols, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. And so what happens in this experience, this birth, when it happens to a person, you're convinced of your guilt but you're also convinced of the removal of your guilt. And you have this change of heart where you might have looked at the things that God commanded and said, I'm not interested in that. I don't even like that. You now say, that's exactly, that's exactly how I want to live. The change in person is so total, this birth. You, you couldn't even rightly call it an improvement. You would call it a rebirth. So we see that without the birth, you can't even come in. But secondly, we see this. Without this birth, you can't understand. You can't even understand this. And so you've got this religious teacher, Nicodemus, who's got postgraduate degrees, but not the new birth. So odd, isn't it? That you could study to the max and still not have what you're an expert in. And so he, Nicodemus can't get his mind around this. Nicodemus can't understand this most basic requirement that he needs to be born again. Verse 3, Jesus says, you don't see. And Nicodemus, verse 4, says, how could this be? And then can a person, could, 
enter back into his mind. What are you talking about, Jesus, this new birth? Verse 9, and he just says, how could this work? I'm so lost, Nicodemus says. And then Jesus says, you are the teacher, and you don't know these things. And so Nicodemus is not born again. Nicodemus doesn't really see the kingdom that he knows so much about. The Reformed Doctrine of the Holy Spirit teaches us that the Holy Spirit gives people illumination. That's one of the works of the Holy Spirit, illuminating our minds, turning the lights on inside, giving light to our darkened understandings. You can read the words. What the saying is, you could read the words on the page of a Bible, but unless the Holy Spirit gives light, you can't receive it, you can't really understand it, and you won't embrace it. The, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the last half of it, it spends a lot of time talking about this whole thing that without the Holy Spirit, you just can't even understand what Jesus is talking about. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, but God has revealed these things, revealed them to us through his spirit. And then verse 14, but the natural man, the person who's not born again, just the normal person who's not in the kingdom, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so this is, this is, this is why you may have someone who's investigating Christianity they're reading through the Bible. They're asking you, well, what does it teach? What does it teach about morality? And, and, and what does it teach about the doctrines? And, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll get just hung up on one of these questions. They'll get hung up on, well, why? Why does your Bible, why does your Bible insist about these things like about who I can sleep with, about what I fantasize about? Why does your Bible insist about whom I must forgive? Why does your Bible make such a big deal about Jesus being the only way or Jesus being divine? Why does your Bible insist that restitution must be made when we sin against others? And they're all hung up and you realize after, after a while, as you work through it and talk with them, you realize these are spiritual things and they're in the natural mind and these spiritual things can only be received by the Spirit. And if you understand that whole principle, the work of the Holy Spirit and how these spiritual things really can't be understood or received unless the Spirit works, if you understand that, when you are trying to convince someone that you love to believe but they don't believe, you realize the Holy Spirit has to give light. The Holy Spirit has to change their mind and change their heart. If you understand how the Holy Spirit works, then when you are working through conflict with someone else, maybe you're, you're, you're at an impasse, things are not going well, things are actually getting a little bit fried between you, you realize this, this is just not going to work out unless the Holy Spirit gives me a right heart, if, if, unless the Holy Spirit gives this other person a right heart in order for us to work through and resolve our conflict. If you understand this, then this will, this, this will explain things to you and change things for you. If you're a parent and you're just trying to work with a stubborn child and you're trying to explain, well, this is why it's not right. This is, this is what the word says. Don't, don't you want to, to do what it says about bridling your tongue, bridling your spirit, bridling your, your anger and your energy? And you realize, I think the Holy Spirit needs to do a work to, to make this child receptive. To, to what the word says. The spirit has to remove the veil. It's the spirit who has to soften the heart. It's the spirit which has to give, who has to give, he has to give light to darkened reasoning. 
and you are not the Holy Spirit. I am not the Holy Spirit. And, but if you do understand that there is a Holy Spirit, as you approach these different kinds of things, it'll give you patience because you realize the Spirit has to work. And the Spirit's like wind. No one knows where it's coming. No one can control it. And so I can just be patient and wait for the Spirit. And this means that you'll not only have patience, you'll, you'll have prayer. You'll realize, I can't turn the lights on for this person. I can't change the heart of this person. But God can. The Spirit can. And so you'll have patience. You'll, you'll pray. God, would you change this person, soften this person, give light to this person. And it may even help you to pull back. Because you realize, unless the Holy Spirit works, I am just going to be trying to, to, to beat my head against a wall that God is going to have to open the door. And, and you'll feel the freedom to just pull back and not to have to keep contending. So, without the birth, you can't understand. But we also see this thirdly. Without this birth, you can't change. Without the birth, you cannot change. Jesus here is telling an expert of Judaism that everyone, including experts, have to be converted. And when you're converted, something does change. Verse 8, Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit's like the wind. You can't control it, but you can tell. You can tell when it's, when it's visited. You'll, you can tell by the effects of the wind. The spirit birth is like the wind. You can't control it, but you can see the effects. It will change you, change the person. Now, Nicodemus is very familiar with the kingdom but Nicodemus was not in the kingdom. He was like the person in 2 Timothy 3, where it says, these are people who have the form of godliness, but not the power. You, you look, you, you sound like you understand the kingdom of God, but there's no power in your life. You, you, you aren't changed. This tells us that you can be familiar with church. It tells us that you can be familiar with Christianity, but you could know nothing of the power of Christ. The goal is conversion. The goal is not expertise. The goal is not credentials. The goal is not some kind of conservatism. The goal is not some kind of confessionalism. The goal is conversion. A new creature where old things are passed away. It means the goal is that a proud man would become a humble man. The goal is that an envious woman would become a content woman. The goal is that a greedy and a self-indulgent person becomes generous and giving and not utterly self-consumed. It means that the goal is an angry person is markedly now gentle and compassionate. That's the goal. The goal, another way it's put in the Bible is the goal is is this change that comes from the new birth, the goal is love from the heart. Love in your, your devotion to God, love from heart to him, and love from the heart in your human relationships. First Timothy 1.5, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And not, as it says in the earlier verses, not myths, and endless genealogies, such things that promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. This is, this is something that it's, it's, um, it's helpful when we look at someone like Nicodemus who is an expert in knowledge. Do you find identity? Do you find for yourself an, an identity for yourself in being really good at arguments or accusations about things like 
political analysis and, and, and exactitude in what a political perspective really should be, the right one? Do you find some kind of identity in being really good at arguments and, and making identifications and accusations about niche theological tribalism? Is that where you're finding some sort of identity? Do, do you find some kind of identity in, 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 in holding to a very specific and narrow medical or nutritional regimen? Those kinds of things can be the things that we get all swept up in. We're experts in them, and that's what we're all about. And, and so we can even get into conflict. We, we lob our own fiery uh, Molotov cocktails about some of these things, and you're in conflict with someone, or it could be a specific person, or it could just be like them, and you're, you're at war with them. What's your goal in that? What's your goal when you're in this dispute? Is your goal to win, or is your goal love from the heart? Is your goal to win, or is your goal to be kind? Because... Truth and love, they both matter. But the word says, speak the truth in love. And so if, you're, if your conflict with your friend turns unkind in the words that are exchanged, exchange, you've lost because love is kind. And if your, your correction of your child becomes impatient, you've lost because love is patient. Love is not irritable. Love is not resentful. So without this rebirth, you can't come in. Without this rebirth, you can't understand. Without this rebirth, you can't change. And then fourthly, without the birth, you cannot believe. Without this birth, you cannot believe. Nicodemus is not born again. Nicodemus does not believe. Verse 12, Jesus says to him, I have told you earthly things, the things that have to do with like today, just for now, and you do not believe. John 6, 44 says, no one can come to God. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You will not come to Jesus unless you have this birth, unless the Spirit draws you to Jesus. Unless a person is born from above, he or she will not believe. Christ, at best, will be interesting. You'll be adjacent to Christ, but you won't be in the kingdom. Because Nicodemus acknowledges so much good. He acknowledges Jesus' teaching. He acknowledges Jesus' power and signs. Nicodemus sees miracles when he sees Jesus, but he doesn't see a savior. Nicodemus believes, but he does not fully believe. Nicodemus respects Jesus, but he does not revere Jesus, worship Jesus, adore Jesus. Nicodemus is familiar with Jesus, but Jesus has not become his soul's friend. He approaches Jesus, but does not follow. Nicodemus thinks he's inside, but Nicodemus has never entered. This is what I want to close with. Are you born again? Are you born again? I have to ask you, because Nicodemus spent years in church. He was in leadership, but he was not born again. I love you all too much to assume that nobody here could possibly be Nicodemus. Some of you are churched. Some of you are catechized. Some of you are confessional. None of that makes you born again. Maybe this disturbs you. And the question is, how can I be born again?
And this is hard because the spirit is not something that we control. It's like the wind. God moves the wind. God moves the spirit. How can you be born again? You can ask. You can ask God to make you born again. Isaiah 55, verse 6. This beautiful promise. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. You say, okay, I can, I can do that. I could pray that. I could pray it tonight. But will God do that? Will God convert you if you ask him? Will God make you born again if you ask? And this is where we find hope and encouragement. Does God convert? Does, does the Holy Spirit have power to make people born again? Even young boys, young girls, the hope and encouragement that you could be born again is in the gospel. In the gospel, Jesus is the one who was born from above. Jesus was divine, always. But in what looked like another birth, Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became human. He became an infant boy. And if God would make his son a new baby, he can make you a new person too. In his birth, Jesus is the heavenly insider who became an outsider so that we could come into the kingdom. He came down from heaven to live a good life for us. He came down to be cast out, to bear our sin, and he came to be raised from the dead in order to bring us up into his new kingdom. He is the firstborn of the new creation. I want to close with this illustration about the famous Christian leader, Charles Wesley. Charles Wesley was a zealous young man. He was very exacting and very, very zealous in the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and Bible reading and prayer together and fasting. He, he was strenuous in his good works. He served as an overseas missionary. He worked very hard. But the mission work failed. It failed. He returned to England. When he returned to England, he got sick. And he was so sick, he wondered. He wasn't sure if he was going to die. A friend visited him while he was sick. And his friend, who thought, you, you might die, his friend asked him, he asked Charles Wesley, are you saved? Will you be received into heaven, Charles? And Charles said, yes. And his friend said, why? Why? And this is what Charles Wesley said, because I have used my best endeavors to serve God. When his friend heard that, his friend shook his head silently, just shook his head. It's very clear what his friend was saying. His friend was saying, no, no, that does not get you into the kingdom. That will not bring you eternal life. And Charles Wesley saw his friend shaking his head no. And it says in his journal, Charles thought him most uncharitable. But later, a woman came to Charles Wesley and spoke the words to him. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, arise and believe, and thou shalt be healed of all thy infirmities. And at that moment, Charles Wesley, for the first time, believed. He received. He had faith. And it wasn't all of his best endeavors that would get him into the kingdom. But it was the name and the work of another, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Wesley said, I now, I now found myself 
at peace with God, and I rejoiced in hope of loving Christ. Are you born again? You must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your conversation with Nicodemus was a gracious invitation that he would be born again. And Lord, you invite us to be born again. You are not stingy. You are not reluctant to bring people into the kingdom, to pour out your spirit without measure. We pray, Lord, if there's any here who has put their hope in their many good endeavors, that even today, tonight, they would come out of darkness into the kingdom. Lord, we pray that we would walk in the new life. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.